Welcome to the third episode of the Breaking the Guard podcast with your hosts, Robert Drysdale and myself, David Avalon. On today's episode, me and Rob are going to tackle the age-old question of which is better, gi versus no gi. <laughs> Any of you in the jiu circles know this has always been a uh, point of contention. Gi guys saying that gi fundamentals translate everywhere, whereas no gi guys say that it doesn't matter if you're going to do no gi or MMA, you don't need to train with the gi. So we go into detail over that. And we also talk about a few things uh, about what it means to be a black belt, how social media influence is changing martial arts culture, and why being the best fighter is not really the end goal of any martial artist. So go ahead and stay tuned for the episode. Before we get started, I would like to give a word from one of our sponsors, which is the Front Headlock Series. The Front Headlock Series is a wrestling-based attack system made by myself, which goes over a series of takedowns, setups, and submission holds that you can execute from the Front Headlock. This is a three DVD set that's also available on online streaming. And again, I always find that the front headlock is one of the best wrestling-based attacks if you don't like to shoot. Because I know a lot of people, they have bad knees or they're worried about getting guillotined or just getting crushed from a sprawl. If you have a good front headlock game, you never have to worry about that because you're going to be counterfighting or easily setting up front headlocks without exposing yourself to any risk. Again, great for if you're just a wrestler and you want to learn some front headlocks. It's an excellent series. If you're a jiu-jitsu guy or MMA guy that wants to learn how to combine the wrestling into the submission game, the front headlock series is a great way of doing that. So if you want to learn more and see some free videos from the front headlock series, just go to frontheadlock.com. Again, that's frontheadlock.com. Hey, what's going on? I'm David Avalon. I'm here with Robert Drysdale, and today we're presenting our third episode of Breaking the Guard podcast. On today's episode, we don't have a guest. I right? don't so, have a guest. It's just us winging it. Yeah, so uh, we actually picked a topic that we're going to talk about beforehand, which I think would work, uh, which is the whole gi versus no gi argument. Yeah. Right? You know, there's a lot of people say you have to train the gi yeah. to understand the fun- fundamentals of jiu-jitsu, yeah. whereas some people, you know, if you're a no-gi guy or you're going to do MMA, they say there's no reason to yeah. train with the gi. So I think it's obvious where I probably stand on this. Yeah. <laughs> so I tried getting Dave in a gi. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead. I'll let you start off. Um, I think first and foremost, I think we have to remind ourselves why we do jiu-jitsu. You know, I mean, I always say this, that self-defense is what's something that will get someone through the door or the desire of being a UFC champion will get you through the door. What gets you to stay is the culture, is the love of the art, right? Ultimately, really what we're looking for is what we call the third place, all right? First place is home, you gotta go home. Second place is work, you gotta go to work. The third place is the place you choose to be. No one's forcing you to go to the gym. You go there because it's a happy place, it's a happy environment, you enjoy working out, you enjoy the endorphins, you get a kick out of it. I remember I did Hapkido as a as a kid when I was like eight, nine years old. And there was no sparring. It was just drill, drill, drill in front of the mirror. And I hated it. I did it for two years because I really, I was really attracted to martial arts. But it was, it became very boring to me because I didn't get the endorphins out of it, right? So going back to my point is, 
I, I believe that people train because it makes them feel good. I think that's ultimately the reason why people show up every day. It's not, I think the medal is the motivation, the belt or the prestige, and there's all that going on as well. But ultimately, it's what keeps people coming back is that it's a happy environment. So if you're loving it and you're enjoying it, first and foremost, who cares? Right? Sure. If you're having fun, yeah. if you're enjoying it, like you prefer this over that. Uh, with that being said, I, I highly recommend both for my students because if anything, they get double the experience. You go to Wanaga, you get two divisions. So even if like, I absolutely hate the gi or no gi, well, if you do both, you get double the experience. Because I know David Avalon's on the other side. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they don't want to train in, in, in without a gi. And I was like, man, at least do it for the experience, right? So like, that's, uh, uh, even like technical distinctions aside, I think experience-wise, you get a little bit more out of it. I will agree with you on that point. For yeah. sure, you're gonna get more experience. I know just as a competitor, I'm missing out on more than half of the tournaments because there's more gi divisions and yeah. tournaments than there are no gi although that's looks like it's shifting a little bit now it's shifting with a submission only thing it's yeah. it's getting it's closer to 50 50. but regardless you, at least you're losing 50 percent yeah. of the opportunities to compete which as a competitor is very important yeah. the more competitions you get the more feedback you're getting the more you can improve the more you get to see different styles yeah. so for sure on the competition aspect like 100 percent see it and you're right like if you're having a good time like People say, oh, if, if I can't train this. I mean, yeah. if you're training, you're, you're already winning. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I think more what I was focusing on is some people are just saying, even if you're going to be a no-gi competitor yeah. or an MMA competitor, you should still be training in the gi. Yeah. I, I, this is what I stand like. I don't. I've seen people do well yourself. Like I've seen you do very well. You compete at the highest level. And you train exclusively no key, right? Right. And then I've seen the opposite too. I've seen people, and I, I don't bullshit when people. I, I tell them this. Like when we, when uh, we, we went to ADCC in two thousand seven, we arguably the best performance a team has ever had in ADCC. We had five competitors, and we brought home seven trophies with five competitors. Like not trying to be arrogant, but it's a very yeah. impressive. And like other than Pablo, who was on the team at the time. Everyone else trained the gi the whole time. Like, we took our gis off like a month or two before ADCC. Other than that, it was 90% gi. So my point is, we've seen it both ways. We've seen people succeed in the gi, and we've seen people succeed in no gi. I think that there are technical differences, but they're marginal compared to the grand scheme of things. There's a lot, a lot, of more, a lot more numbers in the equation. And that pe- the thing is, as people, we tend to focus a lot on our differences. So you get something like politics, or a very contentious issue. People, they hyper-focus on the stuff we disagree about. And then the stuff we agree on, which is like, really when you pay attention, like most of it, then no one, no, it's, it's not even up to discussion, right? But if you look at gi and no gi, I think there's a lot more overlapping. People, they hyper-focus on the stuff we disagree about. And then the stuff we agree on, which is like, really when you pay attention, like most of it, then no one, no, it's, it's not even up to discussion, right? But if you look at gi and no gi, I think there's a lot more overlapping than people realize. There's a lot more overlapping. There's things like, for example, um, I think the one element that is very neglected when people are talking about becoming a champion and winning a tournament is just there's got to be that voice like way in there when you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're at an advantage behind your opponent, and you're going to really flip that switch and I'm going to win. That right there to me is the most important factor more than anything else, you know, and that's one thing that it's not even part of the discussion because it's, it's something very hard to talk about because it's so personal, right? It's so deep in your psyche, you can't really discuss, but going back to Gi and Nogi, I, I think that the differences are real, but I think they're grossly exaggerated. Like if, if you look at, just, just to yeah. finalize my point, like in the Gi, 
what can't you do, Nogi? We're talking collar chokes and spider guard. And now lapel guard, which is a new thing, right? But other than that, like, it's virtually identical. Like, I don't, I, I see far, far more similarities and differences. Like, for every difference, I see 50 similarities. So. Yeah, you know, and going to the competition standpoint, like, your team bringing in seven trophies, and super impressive. And if we were to look, just taking ADCC, for yeah. example, of all the people who medaled, yeah. who trained primarily gi, yeah. the majority of them have, right? Like, yeah. there's a few exceptions, like, people coming in now, yeah. like Gordon, yeah. you know, and even then, he does train with the gi. He's just but not, it's not his background. It's not his like, background yeah, yeah. as much, right? So the counter-argument to that to me, to me would be is that, well, traditionally, yeah. people were training with the gi first yeah. coming through. People like me were more of a rarity where, like, we just yeah. came from MMA or wrestling, and, okay, now we're going to start doing, yeah. you know. Like the Josh Hangers of the world. You exactly. Know? They come from no gi, and they train gi later or, you know, never specialize in the gi, but different Correct. background. Correct. So, like, to me, that argument, because a lot of people bring that up, oh, all the champions yeah. are uh, gi guys. I'm like, well, because they've been training first and for the longest yeah. amount of time. So, I think looking historically, that's going to be skewed. I yeah. think now, like, I think from this point, we have a generation that's already come up training yeah. late 2000s that now have about 10 years in, guys like Gordon and yeah. Gary, like, Let's see how they do. And obviously, Gordon's already doing well, but he's just one guy. You know, like yeah. the crop. And well, one argument against them, and I'm not sure against Nogi, but for example, the 10th Planet team in this ADCC trials, they had 60 or 70 competitors. Yeah. And none of them made it to the trials. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, impressive in, in, a, in, in, an an yeah, in an op, yeah, in, in a negative way. It's, it's kind of like even like statistically, you should have like eight people in there. Yeah, but yeah. yeah you know, so to me, like people can say, "Oh, Nogi didn't work well." Like yeah. that's a sect of Nogi training. Yeah, you know a couple I mean? of things there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I agree with you that, for example, like going back to the, probably like a lot of the guys that come through the gi ranks end up doing well at ECC. It is a little skewed because a lot of the like high level wrestlers or sumo artists are outside of the ADCC circuit. If you look at the ADCC fan base, who are they? It's the IBJF crowd. It's the same people. So you know, it is it is it's not, it is a way of looking at it, but it's not fair at the same time because the ADCC audience is the BJJ IBJJF audience. They're largely the same. Like, how many Sumbo guys in Russia are studying ADCC tapes yeah, to yeah. compete? Like, they might the Khabibs of the world might have done well. If Khabib said, like, I'm not going to do MA, I'm going to win ADCC, he might have won. You know, like they had the, the quality training partners. Or, yeah, maybe they were lacking some back takes. Maybe they're lacking some things that BJJ emphasizes that Sambo and Judo don't, or wrestling don't. But, you know, I think he would have done well had he been in that circuit. Whereas the people who are winning ADCC, they were simultaneously doing IBJJF and ADCC. So and they were focusing on the rule, those rules. And even though they attempted to make ADCC rules more wrestling-oriented, they still are largely based around BJJ rules. If you took a close look, yeah. it's, it's the fundamental, it's a lot closer to BJJ than it is to wrestling. So there's that as well. But going back to the 10th Planet guy, like, I'm not trying to attack anyone here, but I think it has to do with, like, Eddie has a very uh, narrow vision of, you know, jiu-jitsu. Like, he, does, he teaches what works for him. You can see these heavyweights. Like, I've seen them at tournaments. Like, they're trying to play rubber guard, and they can't even reach for their ankles. But they're trying, you know? Yeah. And I think it's like, and you got to be careful with systems. I'm not crazy about systems. I think systems work as in, like, as an option for the group. And, like, certain things. For example, your Kimura trap. I like Kimura trap because it works everywhere. Yeah. You can be fat or skinny. It don't matter. Right, a rubber guard is not something everyone can do. End of story. There's a very small percent. I'm yeah. pretty flexible, man. I, I can struggle sometimes. 
I'm watching every now and then I watch a highlight video of someone doing something really cool from there. I'm like, you can't teach that in class. You understand that, right? If you run a program like that, you would fail. You would fail as a team. You would fail as a business. Um, and I think there's an overemphasis on like certain things. And um, I, I believe that jujitsu technique or teaching has to be democratic. What do I mean by that? And I've always focused on that. And I think that's one reason my program's always done well. I don't teach jujitsu for the margins. I teach jujitsu at the core, at the center. What is it that works for everyone? Yeah. So I've gotten flack from some of my students because I don't teach enough berimbolos. I'll show a berimbolo. Right? It's not my specialty for that matter, but I, to make a program based off of that, oh, but that's what so-and-so does, like AOJ does that. Like That's a yeah. lot of their game is based off of that. Yeah, look what's the average weight of the AOJ practitioner. Exactly. He's, he's a, a featherweight, like, exactly. Yeah. Like, how many heavyweights coming out of that gym? Like, one, none. You know, so, you know, if, if you're going to approach, like, a broad audience, you have to teach a jiu-jitsu that is right around the center, something that works for everyone. And I think a lot of these no-gi gyms coming out of the submission-only movement, they, um, they're missing that. So it has less to do with gi and no-gi, in my opinion. It has to do with the fact that they have a very narrow approach to jiu-jitsu. I agree. They are very focused on the submission aspect of it, less on the position. Which is... Which is huge for tournaments, you know, because you need points. Not only for <laughs> MMA purposes, remember, we're talking Position about self-defense here, yeah. guys. This is like, it's MMA, martial arts, the arts of war. Yeah. You can't leave position behind. Like, it's not going to work. You know, but it is what it is. Yeah, so I think, for me, that is kind of like you said, outside of really what I'd like. Because I, my background, you know, I came from, I actually did Jeet Kune Do for a year, then went into... Is there a grappling Jeet Kune Do or no? There is. Um, yeah, I always wanted to ask that because I don't remember Bruce Lee had gloves on. Yeah, yeah, they had the big yeah. <laughs> guy, like, Kempo gloves. Like Shuto gloves. They yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they're enormous. So I did that for a year and I learned arm bars and triangles okay. and all that. This is like in 1995 or 96. Okay. But I, the thing with the Jikondo, at least the school I was at, they would show you 20 techniques in one class and then the next class, it was a totally different set of techniques. So remember, lot. like later, it's it's an enormous. They're just like with a fire hose. Yeah, yeah. And there wasn't any live in the normal training sessions, so you're just getting tons of theory without any application, right? So like, I remember after I started training MMA with my brother, he was showing me the armbar. Like, man, I've never seen this before. He's like, dude, we did this in Jeet Kune Do. Like, yeah, there's too much stuff. And I, it's one mistake I've made in the past too, teaching my students, like, oh, the more the better. Because I, I think that when you're young, it's an age thing too. I remember being like 18, 19, and someone, someone would show something new. I didn't have to drill it, man. I was like, you're like Neil. You're like, you just absorb that information. Like, I didn't have to drill a thing. It's just like, I got it. I'll do it the next day. Like, as I got old, like, sometimes, like, oh, man, let me see that again. Let me say that again. Like, I have to watch it, like, four or five times, you know. Like, we, were, like, we had Philippe Pena, and I had to watch that transition to the back that oh, he did that on he board, did. like, 35 times, and I'm still not sure I got it. You know, um, it, it's, I think something happens there, too. Like, there's something about the, 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 the younger mind being more flexible and absorbing information a lot faster. Um, yeah, this, this is interesting, man. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't think anyone has ever found, like, a perfect ideal recipe to train jiu-jitsu or teach jiu-jitsu because people are so different you yeah, know you gotta, we you gotta vary mold it so yeah to everybody you know like my style like i know for example when i started competing like in 98 i was doing grappling tournaments against people who only train gi yeah and i had a lot of early success no gi because nobody was training without the gi you're doing hill hooks Heel hooks, neck cranks. They had no idea what they're, yeah. And, you know, knee cut passes and stuff like that. Like, I, I put out a highlight video the other day, just knee cut passing. 
and I just sliced through everybody's guards early in because yeah. I guess that's not as popular or I don't know but man I was just cutting through everybody's guards yeah. knee cut cartwheel passes and stuff yeah. I was doing a lot of unorthodox stuff right yeah. and uh, and the leg locks in particular nobody was doing it yeah so even like though it, my stuff was basic compared to what yeah. it is now like people's leg lock game is way more complex yeah. than what I was doing but you were still ahead yeah I was still yeah. way ahead of the curve back then right so I felt that gave me an edge and also the gripping is different right yeah. I think there's that's one fundamental difference between gi and no gi is the grips yeah right gi gripping is very different because you're going to be grabbing material so yeah. you're, you're going to have more of a closed hand grip yeah yeah no gi grip is open. It's open. So you have to work on this type of grip. Yeah, it's different. Right? So like for wrestling, this is, you work a lot of it. Like one thing I always told people, your grip should be this. Yeah, middle finger. And middle thumb. finger. Everybody does this and you lose this part yeah, of your I, That's how I, I've always held the kimura like that. Like yeah. you know, grab the wrist with the middle finger. Yeah, so if you're like this, you get stronger yeah. grips. And then and like I've trained with wrestlers that they just focus purely on, that they have a grip that they grab your wrist and you yeah. can't get rid of it because... Uh, a lot of gripping is about focus and stuff too so there's a lot of no gi gripping concepts like hiding your thumb you yeah know, like how do you put your thumb when you're grabbing an ankle yeah, or grabbing yeah. a thing which if you just train purely gi you kind of miss out on that yeah. because well, you, you never you still grab the wrists it's just less like there are situations for example for pulling we use the gi a lot for pushing i don't use the gi for pushing i use the body if i want to move your arm i don't grab the gi and try to move your arm i grab your wrist or your the inside of your you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. for pulling the gi is very functional, but for pushing, I use an open hand. But yeah, you're right. Like very, uh, um, very few situations am I going to be holding on to my opponent um, with an open hand and trying to pull because it's just not a good pull. You yeah. know, the gi is a much better handle right? for, for sure. pulling. Although for pushing, I prefer the body. Yeah. So yeah, I think in that regards, like if I'm like because I have a school in Miami, it's all no gi and MMA based. Yeah. You know, so we do a little bit of everything in there. I don't really have anybody that's a pure grappler. Yeah. Everybody's mixing everything up, and I teach it that way. So for my guys, like, if I was to tell them put on a gi right now, you know, to train for MMA, it seems counterintuitive. Yeah. You know, I don't know what your, your thoughts um, are. Here's the thing. I, I, once again, I'm going back to my argument. Like, I, I enjoy the gi because I feel like there are layers of technique that I miss out on no gi. Like spider guard. Oh, it doesn't work in a fight. True. It's still fun, though. It's still awesome, man. You like pull off a beer and bowl, so it's pretty fucking cool. You do it, man. It's like it feels good. You just feel like you did something really cool, you know. And, and ultimately, like I said, this is what we do. Does it work for MMA? No. What I teach in MMA class, absolutely not. But there's so much more to jujitsu than that, right? Uh, or grappling, for that matter. Uh, I I don't think that the differences are that great. And a lot of MMA guys, and I've you know I've trained a lot of MMA yep. fighters, and very few of them were willing to put a gi on. Well, they would ask me, would you train with the gi? I was like. Yeah, put it on once a week, once or twice a week. And then most of them, like I say 90% of them, like, oh, that's stupid. I'm not going to fight Nagi. Why would I train Nagi? And that's the, you know, that's the argument right there, you know, in a very simplistic way. You just look at it, yeah, why would I put a gi on if I'm not going to fight Nagi? I'm going to get used to grips I'm not going to use. And there's some, there's an argument there. But again, you got to look at everything else you do. Um, you know, say jogging. You know, training Nagi is a hundred times close for a real fight than jogging is. Sure. You're not going to go in a, in a cage like, oh, I can't stop myself from jogging. I do burpees for, you know, to, and like, I can't stop myself. I can't put my hands up. I got to do burpees. Like the whole thing that you're going to become retarded when you take your gi off, it doesn't stand either because we've seen guys that train their gi their whole life. They take their gis off and they're not retarded. They know what they're doing. They don't look for grips like, oh, where's that collar? Where's that sleeve? No, they, they end up wrestling the way a wrestler would, right? Maybe 
not as well as a, as a D1 wrestler, right? Not skill level wise, but they don't become like stupid. Like, they don't lose their skill. And I've always made the argument for the gi that uh, people should train in the gi not because it's gonna make their, it's not just that, on, there, there are technical differences, so I'm not disputing that. But there are certain things about it that, it's kind of like jogging. Let's say you got bad cardio, right? Is jogging gonna make you a better grappler? Marginally, it's gonna help a little bit. Yeah, it's gonna flip a tire. Is flipping a tire close to a real fight? How close to a real fight is flipping <laughs> a tire? Not at all, right? Yeah. Training the gi is a lot closer, I don't care what people say, training the gi is far closer to the UFC than flipping a tire. For the same reason, there are certain benefits of flipping a tire. You're getting the explosiveness. You can't cheat flipping a tire, yeah. for example. You have to flip it or you don't, right? You can't, like, you're going to jog, it's going to improve your cardio. There's certain things about the gi that I like about, I was just talking to Kevin Lee about this. I've been giving Kevin Lee more in the gi. Like, once a week, he puts his gi on, and he's hating it, but he's liking it. Like, he's hating it, and he's like, it's like a love-hate relationship. Because he's so athletic that you put him in a bad spot, and he can scramble out of almost anything. Like, you're in a bad spot in the gi you're fucked. Like it's very hard to scramble because there's so much more friction. So one thing it does teach you, and this is like a difference, but it's like, it's not like, once again, it's not the one to end it, you know, make or break kind of difference. It teaches you a lot of prevention because you know that once you lose that underhook fight with that friction, the cost you pay is far greater than when you lose at Nogi. It's far far more harder to recover, right? So it teaches you to prevent that. It's a preemptive lesson you learn. Don't be in that spot in the first place because once you're caught there, like you train with Marcel and he grabs your collar and he puts that shoulder on your face. Oh, you you're not moving, man. Like it's <laughs> over. Like your round the round is over. Right? So by when I train with him, I don't let him grab that collar to begin with, because I know what's gonna happen if he grabs that collar. So it's prevention, 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 right? Um, there's a I I've, I used to be far more gi oriented and I think I've changed my mind in a lot of regards. And I think I blame IBJJF for that to some extent. I think they've been very slow to adapt to changes in jiu-jitsu, and I worry that they're committing the same mistakes that judo has committed mm. early in the 20th century. That was exactly the problem with judo. Oh, it's dangerous, let's ban it. It's dangerous, let's ban it. It's dangerous, let's ban yeah, it. And, it and what happened? Yeah. It became a sport. It stopped being a martial art. I mean, yeah, it's a martial art, but it's lost so much of its wealth. We know this, you know, that much of what we call Brazilian jiu-jitsu today has existed in judo for over 100 years. And from my understanding, judo had striking, and it was a full... Yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah the, the old jiu-jitsu schools were like, you know, a variety of schools with different specialties. So yours would be a kimura trap, mine would be right hand, left hook, and clinch. Yeah. A variety of, you know, different schools that, you know, had different, you know, styles. But judo lost, over time, it lost a lot of its submissions. And then what, what did BJJ pick up wind? Off of the fact that there were very few grappling arts out there that were allowing all these submissions. Right? Wrestling included. Well, I think wrestling lost a lot because they stopped... They, there were no kimuras, there were no guillotines. Imagine how much more efficient wrestling would be as a martial art if from the beginning they had allowed footlocks. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? We end up more or less where we end up now with submission wrestling with ADCC. We could have had that 100 years ago had it not been banned. And my worry that by IBJJF allow, allowing heel hooks, for example, they're committing that, they're making that same mistake. And then, you know, 50 years from now we're gonna look back and we're gonna go, what happened? Like, why did they not allow that? No, I, I can see that, you know, so, Tracing back, gi as an alternative training method, additional resistance, yeah. harder escapes for sure. You know, like I, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think, just to put my argument, about, I don't think it works against like, oh, if I train with the gi now, I'm gonna be worse with no gi. I don't think that yeah. makes sense at all, right? Especially if I'm doing more, like if I'm an MMA fighter, I'm doing a lot of no gi stuff, and then every so often I, I put on the gi. Yeah. 
I don't see any problem with that. You're not going it, it, to, it's not going to take you back. People think, oh, I'm going to lose my skills. I was like, trust me, you won't. No, you know? I, and I can see yeah. benefits to grip strength as well because yeah. you do have to rely on a lot more. There's more situations where you have to really use your grip. You know one thing that you train a lot in the gi just reminded me of something that I feel like I don't always have as much nogi is the isometric strength. There's a lot more of this kind of strength because there's less, less movement. Yeah. Nogi is far more dynamic, which is one reason I always liked it. When I was in Brazil, I liked nogi more than gi because it was like 90% of our training was gi, right? So when we started gi, I was, I was like the nogi guy. Like I had very bad heel hooks, but I'm the one who did them. Yeah. You know, people would ask me questions on heel hooks because I knew nothing, but I knew more than everyone else, right? Yeah. But I had fun with that. And like over time, like it's kind of, you know, shifted back and forth. But yeah, I, I like the um, the idea of the training. It's like I've always enjoyed that. I've never been, I've always, in my classes at my gym, you know, there's about 60-40, 60% yeah. gi, 40% no gi, more or less. And I would be okay with a 50-50 split, but I get the impression because my beginner's class is gi, when people train long enough in the gi, it's hard to put them to get the gi off. And it's the same thing with nogi. If you train too long nogi, the more you train, yeah. the less likely you are to like put a gi on like down the road, right? So because my no beginners classes are gi, my gi classes tend to be more popular, I feel like. And then, so that maybe explains like why the classes have drifted like a 60-40 ratio. Well, as a school owner, I can see the benefit of having a gi foundation because having the uniform just from bringing people in yeah. you already the martial arts has already you know that meaning like, oh, you had the uniform you know and you had yeah. the belt ranks when you're doing no gi stuff like we do the belt ranking is always a little funny because you don't technically have a belt you know we have a yeah. like, color shirt so you have a badge or you have something like that you know yeah. so it's a little bit of a it's the, the hierarchy for kids, yeah. it really throws it off because parents want to see them in the uniform and have the picture with the belt you know from a business perspective i 100 percent agree with you from yeah. a business perspective like it, the, the belt helps um the gi helps uniform helps I'm sure it's i think parents well. are yeah. well the japanese are known for that right traditional yeah. respect and i think a lot of parents when they bring their kids in they're looking for that yeah 100%. like we we've had instructors that were very nice to kids and then we have instructors who are like you know drill sergeants and the parents prefer the the, the drill sergeants that they, sure. i think this generation you know of of parents they they're almost scared of disciplining their parents of their children like yeah. they're scared like you can't yell at your kid like I, my, my mom used to beat the crap out of me as a kid <laughs> i yelled at my daughter the other day and she got mad at me like i yelled at her i didn't even touch her yeah, yeah. and she's like why well, you shouldn't yell at her i'm like mom you used to beat the crap out of me you know but like <laughs> we become so scared of you i think one reason why parents bring their kids into a martial arts school is because they want their children disciplined no oh, and i think the sure. uniform and the order and the ranks and the hierarchy all that People like that, and I struggle with this a lot because when I started my, my gym, I didn't believe in any of this. Like, I didn't, like, you don't have to call me master sensei, you don't have to bow to get on the mats, wear whatever you want. And it's a very, it's, it's interesting, but people don't like that. You know, I, I got a lot of people like, oh, Rob, you're going to put uniforms in at, at Zenith Jiu-Jitsu now? People are going to like, it's the opposite. They love the uniforms. Oh, of course they do. People like uniforms. Yeah. Like, the parents love it. The students love it. Like, yeah, there's some people, they have like 30 shoyo geese at home. They're going to complain. But for the most part, you know, that's one student versus the other 50 who love it. You know, you got to do what's best for the group. And, you know, as a business owner, of course, that, that helps me too. Like, it's, it makes more sense. I don't have to compete with Amazon. Yeah, you know, it's, like, it's not like Jeff Bezos needs more money, <laughs> you know. So it, it there's it, from no matter how you cut it, it's a better, you know, the, the gi is a better business model. No, yeah, and it's much easier to re, to enforce it. Yeah, you know, 
even with the nogi classes sometimes he's like oh you need to wear your your rank shirt and people start wearing different color shirts so they're wearing like somebody else's shirt it's or something cultural like that. thing yeah. yeah it's like uh <laughs> I think it's funny because jiu-jitsu's gone full circle, right? It was a Japanese thing originally. You know, judo goes to Brazil, becomes Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think one reason why it was so attractive to Americans is that it was so different from other martial arts in the sense where, you know, it was really, it had that so much of that Brazilian culture. I insist in the Brazilian in jiu-jitsu now. I, I used to hate it. I think nationalism does not belong in jiu-jitsu. This is stupid. Get rid of the flags, right? That was, that's, that's always been my approach. I insist on the Brazilian now because there's so much of Brazilian culture that has been incorporated into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But it's ironic because I can see, I can observe this change now. Like it's becoming less and less Japanese. Like respect, honor have gone out the window. You know, like people, they used to be like, master, may I learn from you? I am privileged to be in front of you and learning from you, master. Now the students are like, what are you going to do to keep me here? I'm special. I got a million followers. You know, like that's kind of like the mindset of the new generation. The things got flipped on its head. Like it's almost like the structure should feel lucky to have good students in his gym, right? And it's becoming very Americanized in the sense where it is the Brazilian beach culture, buddy-buddy system, go train with your friends in your garage, do whatever you want. It's a very Brazilian thing. Yeah. It's, it's dying. Like if you're a school owner and you're running your business like that, you're going to go out of business eventually because it's becoming very Americanized, very business-oriented. Right, so it's interesting to me like that how much Japanese, Brazilian, our American culture have influenced jiu-jitsu, and I can see these changes. I guess because I'm maybe I'm overly sensitive to this because I grew up in Brazil and you know spent half my life there. I can see these changes, like the Brazilian way of running a gym, of being in the gym and just hanging out with your buddies and showing up late and doing whatever you want. It's a it's a dying breed. Like it's I think 10, 15 years from now it's going to be run very, very business-wise. And if you're not doing that, you're, you're going to be out of business. You know, that's one of the thing you talk about, the respect and the, what I call it, the virtues of the martial arts. It really bothers me when I see it slipping away, right? Yeah. Like, I had posted something online. Oh, I think it was when Herbert Santos, he had that little... Through a fit with uh, Felipe Pena, yeah. Fit with Felipe Pena, yeah. you know, and he came out, and I, I guess one of the guys said something to him, and he got upset, and he charged them, charged somebody else. By the way, way to heal a knee, right? Yeah. You have someone yell at you, like, your knee just gets better. Like, what? I should have done that. Yeah, just have someone yell at you. You know, so yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah. There was no excuse for that yeah. whatsoever. And I come, you know, what a poor reflection of a black belt. And then someone puts, oh, a black belt just means you're a good fighter. And yeah. I and I it was on Reddit I think and I got downloaded to hell. I was like, man, this is a problem. You know, like people think that a black belt is just a, a signif it just signifies your skill level or yeah. your knowledge level. So much more. And it's a lot more to it. Yeah. I have people that, you know, never got the black belt, they stuck at brown belt because, you know, I didn't feel they had the right temperament, the right character. I have people of regret promoting yeah. people. And then there's that, yeah. you know, there's some of those yeah. as well, you know. Because, because they, they didn't have like the character necessary to, to be promoted. Because people understand those like Essentially, our legacy is being passed through our students. Yeah. And if you're, you have students that are, you know, like bad people, you know, or bad character, your legacy is going to get tarnished by that. Yeah. You know, because once me and you die out, you know, then who's the next people carrying the torch? If those people are not good instructors, they're not going to spread anymore. Yeah. And then essentially, your tree is dead. Yeah. You know, so to me, the character part of the martial arts, like you said, it's huge. in the beginning, it's the most important thing because at the end of the day, all the punching and kicking and submissions are all cute and stuff. But when you're like 60 years old and stuff, you're not, that doesn't really mean you know, as much. The, it, what it means more is going to be like what virtues you've learned 
through the martial arts that you are able to apply yeah. to all the areas of your life, your work, your family, your relationships. That's the real value. Yeah. I, I, that's what I take. And I, and I hate to sound like the old man because when you're 20, you don't give a crap about any of this, right? right. You just want to win. And I get that at 20, you, but like, you know, in retire, being retired, I think we agree on this. It's a nice place to be because I'm able to see, I, I, this is how I put it. Like my passion for jujitsu now is I'm not, jujitsu used to be a means to an end proven to myself or to the world for that matter that I could do it, right? It was a means to an end. It was an ego thing. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu now is an end in itself. I see Jiu-Jitsu as a good in itself, right? It helps me cope with the world. I see the benefit it brings to society. It's not something you can quantify, which is very sad because we quantify money. Yeah. We quantify fame, right? But we don't quantify social success. And I think there are a lot of instructors in small gyms in the middle of nowhere in Brazil and around the world who are doing a lot of social good it's just you just can't quantify it so you don't there's no but this this is because you know going back to what you were saying we there are aspects of character building in martial arts that i think i feel that we're missing out on and that's one thing you've got to love about the japanese because they take that so seriously yeah it's so important to them and it reflects on the nation like when you look at you know how you know japanese look at judo and how they behave on the mats it's an expression of who they are as a people it's not just on the math that they're like that. It really is a reflex of them as, as, as a culture. I wish we were more like that. I wish things like honor and respect meant something in the 21st century to millennials. It doesn't. The reality is, it, like, I mean, you, you bring this up to, like, to a 20-year-old, it looks at you like you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? You know? um, and it's sad because I think we're missing out on some of the most important lessons that martial arts has to teach. I hope it changes. I think people get like. I hope like the like the, this young, this next generation of grapplers that are like obsessed with like being Conor McGregor and they have to be loud and you know talk. I think that one day they're gonna snap out of it. I hope they do. But if this is the trend and it is reinforced in the future and it doesn't stop, I think that jujitsu is gonna turn into something that I don't know. It's not something that I mean. There's a part of it isn't gonna be part of it because it's so it's so alien to me. It's so different from what I have learned and what I believe in. And I, I think that eventually that's it's gonna go some. It might it might wear out. People are gonna get tired of it. But people are missing out on that, man. Like there's some there's a lot of value to jujitsu that people that are way outside the metal and the technique. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, like I to me the what I pose to people a question as a black belt yourself. How much money would I have to pay you to take away that black belt from you? Oh, there's you couldn't pay me. Exactly, it's priceless. There's, you can't. My experience, yeah. what I've lived. There's no money you can give me. Exactly, it's yeah. a priceless thing. That's why you can't quantify yeah, it. I never. That's an interesting. I've never thought about that. Yeah. Like, how much money would you have to give me to give away my black belt, my jiu-jitsu experience? Yeah. Because right now, if you strip that from me, I'm I, dead. I'm dead. I yeah, have no I'm, I'm a totally different person. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's part of your identity of who you are. Because, yeah. you know, for me, like I didn't start. Like I, I came to be a man, so to speak, when I started wrestling. Because yeah. wrestling is the first like true martial art yeah. I felt like I got into. And it showed me the virtues of hard work, discipline, yeah. respect, you know, humility. And I carry those everywhere I go in life. You know, yeah. when I do stuff at work, in my relationships. So he said it transcends everything. Yeah. So I've always carried that with me. And my brother and I, when we teach and all that, we always do, um, when we gym Miami, we just actually promoted one of our black belts, uh, something to black belt after uh, 15 years. You know, so he's our ninth black belt that we produced. You know, and... Uh, there's a lot of people that could have been black belts at that time, but we're very selective on like who we put to be a black belt yeah. because, again, like you said, it's a reflection of your character. And, uh, 
you know, the problem now is that with social media, respect doesn't really sell headlines, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even like uh, uh, Benil Dar- Darush, I think I butchered his name. I know you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. He just won the, the UFC fight. He called out Kimura Trap, so thank you. <laughs> he did a nice uh, Kimura Trap to half guard, got yeah. reverse triangle, switched to an arm bar. But he had spoke afterwards in the press conference talking about how he's going to be an example of uh, respect in the martial arts. He's not going to be doing the call-outs and all that stuff. It's costing him millions. He just gave my respect for that. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're willing to sacrifice millions of dollars for doing the right thing, you're a true hero. Yeah. You're a hero. Not the one who throws trolleys at you know windows yeah. and they smash his cell phones <laughs> that's that's yeah. i don't care i don't care how much you win or how much it's it's not you you my respect maybe some other people look up to him you're not going to get mine i'll respect the khabib of the world you know keep your head down and work exactly like you said because talking a lot doesn't really it makes you money but you're not sacrificing that's easy to do and yeah. especially in today's environment yeah. you know but uh, we've talked about this. It, I feel it sets a bad example for everybody. It does. Because now you, people you, look like, like that guy who commented to me and, and everybody agreeing with him. Oh, you know, black belt just means you're good. It doesn't mean that. You know, you're attaching these other things that have nothing to do with it. You yeah. know? And uh, there's there's arguments to be made against it. Like somebody went into a debate with me saying that, you know, the samurai code, which a lot of the martial arts, you know, respect culture is based off of, was an interpretation of somebody's romanticization of uh, samurai culture, yeah. which didn't exist. Maybe, maybe it didn't. Yeah. But to say that we don't practice that to the martial arts now is yeah. also bogus. So like, yeah. the origins of it to me doesn't really matter. Especially like, a lot of people don't realize what made martial arts big in the states were movies. Yeah, Bruce Lee, especially Karate Kid. You know, those things influenced a lot of parents. Hey, I want my kid to be. I think it helped, but like, you know, judo was booming in the fifties already. Like, I think people saw in martial arts a means of education. And I think that Hollywood movies definitely, you know, brought it to a... Yes, it was definitely a good... Like the UFC was, too. Like, I have a job because of the UFC, you know? Like, and then there's no no doubt about that. But at some point, you know, we got to balance out that that marketing with values. Right. You know, I think... But those earlier movies... They were pushing values, right? Like Bruce Lee yeah. movies, he was, he was a good role Karate model. Kid movies. They were good role models, yeah. right? Now, who's the major vehicle pushing it? UFC, all these fight things, and now the fight culture. You know, we you know yeah. here in Vegas is it's very non-virtue based. Yeah, it's more about like who's the biggest it's badass. Yeah, it's... who good, who attracts the most attention. So now that's getting the most marketing. So now, as a school owner, what are you trying to push? You know what I mean? Are you trying to push? Oh, you're gonna be Billy Badass, and you know be a UFC champ one day or are you going to push like the real characters you know but you know I guess I think parents are still always going to appeal to the character argument because they're coming to bring their kids as you said for discipline right like if I look at a lot of my fighters most of them don't have a father figure there's a lot of that yeah that's a very common theme in yeah. martial arts I noticed that and it's because they like the, the structure in their life you know what I mean? so like yeah. it's not a surprise to me right that that, that occurs because a lot of you know a lot of your students look up to you as a father figure. You know what I mean, like, there, so, yeah, so you have that responsibility. I think that's something yeah. that a lot of people that are you know not even if you, not just if you have a school, but if you're, um, you know, a public figure in the martial arts world, you have a lot of responsibility because you have a lot of teenagers look up to you. Mm-hmm. And going back to what you were saying about parents, it's a very good point. I think the majority of parents bring their kids in because they believe in values and they would like their children to learn that. But I feel a change there too. There's a lot of parents that bring their kids in. They want their kids to be superstars, and they talk and they treat their children. 
like superstars. Like, I'm not going to, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've had those students. Like, they, I've they, seen those too, and those are their like, parents are really pushing their social yeah. media. They're treating them like they're rock stars. It's almost like that uh, child celebrity thing. Like, when you're like, you know, eight years old and you, you know, make it big in a movie and everyone knows who you are. And by the time you're 19, you're overdosing on heroin. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's what's <laughs> going to happen to some of these kids. It's like, you guys are getting way too much attention way too soon. Yeah. This can't be healthy long term. And I really believe that it's going to harm these kids. Uh, their, their development down the road because like some of these parents want their kids to be you know superstars and and they're living their lives vicariously through their children which is very sad in itself yeah you know there's a lot of pressure some of these parents but like I didn't make it but you're a continuation of me that's how we see our children right yeah if you have a kid you see it's it's an expression of you it's it's a continuation of your for sure it's your literally of your yeah. genetics yeah. like so like okay I didn't do it but you will and I see that in a lot of parents, and it's such a sad thing. And I, I hope that you know most of them will snap out of it and go like, more important than my child being rich and famous is that they're decent human beings and yeah. they're good, you know, social uh, role models, and they actually they're enriching that that so it's the world in a way that can't be quantified, and you're not going to be rewarded for it, but because it's in a good in itself. I hope that most parents can see that. My suspicion is that. It's getting worse and worse, and people see that less and less, and it's all about the immediate return. Yeah, well, I mean, the social media thing, you know, we talked a little bit with Kevin on that. It is a whole new revolution. Like, I, just, I can't even grasp like how much it's changed so quickly. I'm still digesting it, to be look, honest. Look at the Kylie Jenner. They just said now she's like the youngest billionaire or whatnot. From what? Which is insane. It's insane. From what? <laughs> like, what's her skill? Apparently, she's, I still don't know what her skill you know, is. Marketing. Yeah, the hard level because she apparently made her own makeup line. It was a. I asked my girlfriend. So she, you know, that was a chemist. Like, was like, a, I'm not giving lip, her credit for that. It's a lip liner type thing, but yeah. the marketing of it allowed her. And of course, she piggybacked yeah. off the Kardashian fame wisely. But man, like to make a billion dollars at that young is insane. But that's all social media, you know. So like yeah. everybody now has a vessel to be that famous, you know, which is crazy because. In a way, it's kind of cool, you know, because to, to have that type of media power, like a 50 years ago, 20 years ago, You're you couldn't cool. do it. You, you needed, yeah, you, yeah, you, you can't. There's tons no, of money. Not or, a Rockefeller in the world can Amazing do it. Yeah. connections. Now, just by the virtue of having good content, or at least content that Whatever people, the hell that means. Yeah, yeah, it's very subjective, but like, whatever that means, you can pull in a giant audience. You know, like I tell, I always tell the fighters, make social media your but marketing priority because you don't need to be like a, a that realistic though, like that. moving forward realistically i'm not talking martial arts i'm talking about human civilization here. is it realistic that everyone's a rock star and everyone makes money from famous for being famous like you realize that we losing our skills like we don't know how to do anything like what is this what's her name again the, the jenner whatever kylie jenner i think whatever might be. what does she know how to do realistically yeah, well, it's a, it's a different world. Right? It's I I know, and it's 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 a strange world because you get people are being rewarded for not knowing how to do anything. You know, like they really don't have any skills. You know, like people talk about like oh Tony Robbins. I'm like oh he's talking about what does he know about business? Oh he's gonna increase your business at 120 percent. He's never ran a business. How would he know? And I'm watching these guys and like everyone. You ever watched that movie, uh, the documentary Fire Festival? Yes, it's, so it's dude, I feel like we're living the fire festival era. Everything <laughs> is just like image projection and like there's no depth to anything. There's no background. <laughs> there's no like infrastructure. Everyone's just like, no, incredible marketing and branding. It yeah. was beautiful. I wanted to go to the fire festival, right? 
and then you know, and you dig this deep, and it's like there's nothing there. Like there's no I, foundation anywhere. I watched anywhere. it, and I felt like it was a middle school project gone wrong. That's right? what like, it looked like. It, it was like brilliant had, marketing. Yeah, and brilliant marketing, and that's the thing. What I always, people, marketing gets a bad rep, and I, again, yeah. I do marketing myself. Yeah. So marketing gets a bad rep because it can be used as a tool for yeah. cre- great creation or massive destruction. It's a neutral word. Yeah, yeah it goes both ways. Yeah, you know. Right. So it just depends on who's wielding this weapon. Yeah. Right, but. Usually, people remember what hurts more than what yeah. helps, and a lot of people use marketing for scams. And you know, that fire festival thing is a great example. Like, man, like if you if you guys haven't watched it, you Watch should definitely it. check it out. Watch it's on it. Netflix, it's great. right? It's, it's a, yeah. Uh, and the other thing, though, I don't think they knew that they were bullshit. I think they really, I think they didn't never did two and two. Like, you're gonna bring like I don't even know how many thousand people here for a festival, and not bother with like toilets. Yeah, you know, it's like. It's just as long as it looks pretty, as long as the the label is well done. Who cares about what's inside, right? No, clearly, they were trying to salvage something, but it's like they bit off way more than they could chew. Yeah, and they never really like instead of like, all right, we got to scale down now. They kept trying to blow it up more while trying to patch things up on the back end. And you know? there's the over. I think social media has projected successful people as being very confident and driven people. So people think that confidence is the most important thing. As long as I believe that I'm going to do it, it's like that. And I've, I've I've dealt with a lot of like young business entrepreneurs recently, and there's, they're very confident. Like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And they're like, oh, really? Are you? I'm like, well, that's pretty ambitious. Are you? There's zero backing. It's just, but people have gone uh, on to believe that if I believe I can do something. That's all that matters. Well, that's great that you believe that's it, but there's one. like yeah. that's step one, okay. Yeah. But there's a whole structure, you know, that, that comes behind that to back it up, and like uh, you know that I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it. That kind of mentality with no skill to actual skill to back it up, or sometimes work ethic, yeah. you know. And I feel like you know going back to BJJ or or martial arts for that matter, I think there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of like blah blah blah, talk talk talk, and then when it comes down to it, like. I would love to have the time to do statistics on jiu-jitsu, Dave. Yeah. It's like what dream of mine. One day I'm going to have to sit down. Because like, I think that if you actually did statistics on what's working, what's not, who's winning, who's not, like the picture we would have of BJJ, I'm convinced it's a very different one that is being projected onto the world. Like if people stuck to, like you would see that the techniques that are working are not the most popular ones. Yeah. If you look at the people who are winning, they're not the loudest ones. The people who are talking a lot are not really doing that great. Um, I think there's a lot of that, but and then this is the downside of marketing because it really it distorts reality. It can't. Sure. It has the potential. I mean, it has a good side to it. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but like it does distort right because now you you're trying to you, really what you're doing is convincing people that okay this is really awesome when in fact it's you know everybody's got to do their research. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because behind any marketing campaign, at the end of the day, the content has to. Stand because I can sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo, but yeah. eventually they have to get the <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the product's got to be, you know, it's got to stand up to the test. If you just yeah. believe all the hype, yeah, you know, you're gonna get suckered all day long. Yeah, you know, especially nowadays, you're gonna get suckered twenty four seven. You know, so you got to yeah. be able to do the research, look into the content, and figure so out. So like, hard though, like I, because you know, you guys know I'm doing this 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 research on the history of jujitsu, and I get why people don't want to look into it. Holy cow, man, it's a lot. It's dense, right? People get really. There's too much information in the world. That's why fake news works. That's why I get, like some of these like social media works so well because it's like it's a quick, thirty second snippet, and you know you're supposed to understand the topic in like one you know, you know Wikipedia. I remember like, I got in a fight with my my ex 
like a while ago. She read half a Wikipedia article and she was arguing me on a topic that I happen to know a lot about because I read a lot about. And I'm like, <laughs> and you read half a Wikipedia article. Shut up. But that's how we are. We are learning that way because there's so much information. And doing your research, you're right. Everyone should do their research. Yeah, Wikipedia is also, it's, by the way, people, Wikipedia is authored by anybody who wants to author it. Anyone. There's nobody who's like, I remember because somebody deleted my brother's Wikipedia and like he had no basis on doing it, you know, because they have essentially people volunteer to do to write these articles or to edit. Them. It's supposed to be democratic. It's a great idea, but yeah. like some of it is you know, just. No, it's like yeah. Stephen Colbert once faked uh, because I guess they were saying elephants in Africa were on the decline. Yeah. And then he had people like, oh, I want you guys to author it to say they're on the rise, and sure enough, they did. Funny story though, it turns out like. Five years later, they did jump on the rise, and then he took credit for it. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. See I did that. Yeah. yeah, but like anybody can write anything, so yeah, you can't use Wikipedia as, as a valid source. Because I, I mean, I, I know how bogus Wikipedia can be. I use it all the time, though. Like, I mean, I feel like with controversial topics that are like you know part of contemporary debate, they will be far more contentious, right? Okay. But if it's something regarding Immanuel Kant. Probably not a lot. Like, I mean, I mean yes. there might be some, but like I think there's probably less. But if you're going to talk about like a hot topic, you know, in politics today, I'm sure it's getting edited every five minutes. You know, so it's just one of those things. I some things are more trustworthy than others. I feel like. Yeah, I was reading a little bit of history actually, and there was this general Thomas. Um, I can't remember the last name, but he was actually supposedly the best Civil War general, but nobody's ever heard of him. Yeah, I totally believe that. And then you had General yeah. Lee and Ulysses Grant. But this guy, I can't even. I read the article. I forgot his name. Yeah, his name yeah. was Thomas. Totally believe that. And his nickname was Slow Trot because uh, he liked to trot his horses slow, yeah. whatever. And he, apparently, he never lost a battle in the Civil War. Yeah. And he had minimal casualties. All the soldiers loved him, but there was a lot of political strife with him. Yeah. Because he was a Southerner in the Union. Yeah. So it created a lot of friction. But long story short, history kind of wrote him off. Yeah. You know, because of that. So, like, even history, like, on the oh, written books, and you know it because you're a historian. Yeah, yeah. They, they can butcher stuff. So I always yeah. tell people, like, what I look for out of history is to try to figure out the morals of a story, like, or, like, the, the patterns and behaviors of people. Because yeah. all the facts, I mean, we're talking about stuff sometimes thousands of years old or hundreds of years old. It's very difficult to pinpoint. Have you ever played the telephone game? You know? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's I, a lot of that going it's, on. There's a lot of that going on. Even like primary sources we deal with this, like they can be difficult because they're, they can be very biased. You know, sure. B, to BJJ history, case in point. Like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of biases going on. Uh, yes, history is very difficult because of that. But that's, you're right, that's a good way of looking at it. Like what can we learn from... World War II, are there things that we're going to agree and disagree on? Like, you know, and we can talk about it at length, but there's some overall lessons that surprisingly people don't seem to learn. Yeah. Like, I feel like we <laughs> no, keep making the same mistakes. We're like, oh my, is this ever going to end? I, I would like, you know, it would be beautiful one day the discipline of history were no longer necessary because people just finally learned their lessons. And I feel that's what a historian does is like remind people, like, hey, hey, guys, this is, we've been down this road before, yeah. we've seen what happens, let's not do that again. But people forget very easily and they tend to, you know, go right, down the same paths, do it all over again. It is very disappointing, you know, uh, as a historian. Sometimes, like, I just want to pull my hair out. Like, and I'm watching some of the developments in the world. And I'm like, guys, we've seen this before. Like, this is not new. You know, sometimes yeah. not even that long ago. But doing research is, is difficult. Like, I wish people took the time, but it is, it is very time-consuming. And people can't always distinguish, between, like, also between a good source and a bad source. Like literally, Google has become reality. Whatever Google, so you Google it, 
if it comes up in the first page, it's true. Like very few people can like, okay, this is you know something that's peer reviewed versus this is something that is like some some teenager's blog. Yeah. I see know. this with even with the martial arts as well. I see some people teaching techniques. Yeah. That, you know, and they might have good SEO or they might just show up on your search. Oh yeah. And they're garbage. Yeah. You know, like Ooh. I've even seen like now like. Of course, I'm very into my Kimura stuff. And I look up and I sometimes I see people tagging Kimura Trap or they, even I saw an instructional DVD showing a Kimura and on the cover, they're doing it wrong. Like some fundamental yeah. things like right off the get-go. I'm like, man, you know, like. <laughs> There's no jiu-jitsu police. Like if, yeah. the interesting thing is that no one takes martial arts that seriously. Because if you're a doctor and you're, you know, you're selling that you're a brain surgeon, right? you advertise yourself as a brain surgeon, yeah. but you're not. You go to prison. Like someone's, like if you try to perform brain surgery on someone, you're not qualified. Yeah, yeah, you're you really the, like a veterinarian or something, or a nurse, and you try to, you probably go to prison, right? Like, police will come, like, oh, you're not qualified. Yeah. There's none of that in jujitsu. You could literally, like, if you just want to make some money and you're a good bullshitter, I'll give you some advice. Put a black belt on. Don't have to train. Just talk to talk. Yeah. You know, if you're good <laughs> at talking, like that's literally what it takes these days, man. Like, if you're good at talking, you become a jujitsu expert. You don't have to be a jujitsu. You don't have to train. All you got to do is talk. And if you speak well enough. People are going to believe you. Look them in the eye. You speak with confidence. You tell them exactly what they want to hear. And that's where cult leaders and con artists thrive. They're really good. And there's so much of that in martial arts world. And I think I'm like very sensitive to this because I got it to my own detriment. I got like an eye, you know, just spot bullshitters in, 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 in martial arts. I can spot a fraud from a mile away. And I'm, yeah. I'm right 100% of the time. And it's, it's almost like one of those things I wish I weren't like that because it probably would be less painful to watch these people thrive. Yeah. It's like, I know you're a hoax, man. I know it. I know you've never trained a day of your life. It's funny you mentioned that because my brother now, he's actually writing a, a little ebook guide because one of our students, he was leaving. He's yeah. like, I need to train. You know, Do you know anybody yeah. in this state? And my brother's like, I don't, but let me give you some pointers on what to look out for because, like you said, a lot of people are full of crap. And the worst thing is when you're starting off in the martial arts, you don't really know who's legit and who's not. It takes years. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you're in a bubble because you're just in this one thing and you're like, oh, I'm doing... Like, I remember when I was training Jeet Kune Do, and don't get me wrong, the guy's a nice guy. But it just wasn't what combat-specific, you know, martial arts. It was more the art form, right? Yeah. So me and my brother, we, were, we trained for a year. We're doing private lessons. You know, we came in like five times a week. We thought we were, you know the best stuff in the world and then we sparred my brother had a girlfriend who was a taekwondo black belt and a family of black belts I'm like oh you should come spar with us one day I'm like oh yeah we'll go and kick your guys asses got there freaking got wiped it's like Psst. and my brother got humiliated <laughs> he was sparring this 50 year old fat guy <laughs> got step psychic into a wall oh, dropped and then a painting fell right on top of him <laughs> and he's like 50 years out of a movie in yeah. front of his girlfriend you know yeah. what I mean and, and their parents yeah. and the whole family. Uh, it's like, yeah. oh, fuck this. We're, we're done with this. We're yeah. going to wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we started wrestling after that. But I mean, it's like, yeah, like it took us getting outside the bubble you, 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 to yeah. get it busted. You, you, you know, know what I mean? You know, and, and the interesting thing is about this is that, you know, if you're in the bubble, you're, you may be in the bubble for years before you realize it's yeah. a bubble. But by then, you're so part of the, uh, uh, you've created social ties to that group. Even if you realize your instructor's a fraud and everyone around you is a fraud, and that the real people are in the gym across the street. You're, the social ties will keep you there because now you feel like attached. Correct. Right? Yeah. And there's, and there's and which is something good. Like I think that's an, even if you're out of fraud. Like I think I still believe you can create a good social environment, which is also important. Uh, but at the same time, it, it 
kills me to see like legitimate BJJ masters struggling financially and to see people who have barely trained their whole lives like killing it like yeah. it just it's so unjust and there's mm -hmm. so much of that going on. And people don't always realize, but there's so much of that going on. Oh, and I was stars everywhere. You yeah. know, like it's like the movie. I don't know if you've seen the, the the Golden Child, the Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Long story short, they have a child that represents each virtue. Yeah. And then it says the Golden Child of Justice died hundreds of years ago. You know. Yeah, justice <laughs> dies. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> unfortunately, your skill level does not equate your success level. You yes, know, it's, yeah, because they're just, not on par. Yeah, yeah. In, a, in a just world, it yeah. would. You know, if you're the best at something, then everybody should recognize you and then benefit from your your skill. You know, but it doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, that's where marketing takes precedent. You yeah, know, like only Especially the people who days. know about you are going to be the ones who are going to be able to find you. So, like, it's not only that you have to be great at something; you also have to have the marketing behind it. So that everybody can true. find you, you know, That's like, hey, true. You, you know, this is where. Otherwise, you're the silent, you're the tree that fell in the in the forest. Yeah, and I'm sure there's no other witness. There's tons it. of killers out there. Like, there's you know? this one guy we interviewed for our documentary. He has had, like, I think he has something like 500 children trained under underprivileged children. Oh wow! Like something ridiculous like huge. that. Like it's a huge number. They're all like poor from the slums, and I'm going. That guy's a BJJ hero. Like, sure. truly. Yeah. Like, truly. I don't, okay, he doesn't have a world title, but like, this guy has had a far more significant impact in the world than Conor McGregor, in my opinion. Because, like, Conor was just like, okay, everyone knows who he is, but hasn't done anything positive. I don't know. Maybe he donates his money to charity. But this guy's actually helping people. Yeah. This guy's actually, and it made me almost like, like, ponder on my own, like, jujitsu life. Like, has I ever really done anything significant in jujitsu? Okay, I got some medals, but. I feel like that guy's done far more than I have, you know. And uh, taking it's, people from a bad place and helping them out is definitely a more virtuous than you know getting a stud and like yeah. okay now I'm just gonna take you one level up yeah. versus pulling you from the earth and yeah. raising you to the ceiling. You know? So I always found that you know as an instructor, it's always best to help the person who is the most neglected, right? Mm -hmm. Like the guy who's clumsy with two left feet. Nobody wants to teach that guy. He's the guy that can get the most value. Hundred percent. Everyone wants. Everyone wants to. In Brazil, there's a saying like uh, "todo mundo gosta de filho bonito." Everyone wants the the pretty child. Everyone yeah. likes the pretty child, you know. And then the ugly duckling. Like everyone's kind of like, "Oh, let's not train this guy. He's not very talented." And I've always taken pleasure in in seeing those people who aren't talented grow because they're never going to win a world championship. But you bring them to you know a higher level. And you know, I've gone. I've had problems with students like uh, in the past because I make an effort. And it's it's intentional to spread my attention equally amongst my students. And I probably err, like I don't think I've always yeah, been, you know, you, you do have like, oh, I like this person more than that person. You end up coaching, you know, this person more than that person. But I make an effort not to. And as a result, I've, I think I've had, I've managed to create a bigger student base. There are people that are loyal to me because at the end of the day, that guy who's quiet and doesn't demand attention, he notices yeah. That you give them attention. For sure, those know? people notice more than anybody else. Yeah, they they're not used to it. They're not, and then like, yeah. oh man, like Rob, like being really, and I, I really make an effort to be treat them exactly the same as I treat the guy who's super talented, yeah. which, which isn't always, you know, causes problems because you know the better you are, the more attention you expect. You expect, yeah. you know, and I'm like, <laughs> no, you got this far, be, you know, me treating you this way, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, why do you need attention now? I think like it's funny people want to try, they're doing well, 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 and then they, they make it, right? They win a world title or something. No, oh, I got to change. I got to, yeah. It worked this far, man. Like, what's the problem? That's you know? the thing that, you know, it's happened to me a few times in the beginning. You know, we had guys that were really good. We got them to the next level. And then it's like you said, I got to change stuff. It's like, you know, it's I, exactly what you said. Like, it makes no sense. It's like if you were in business 
and you were investing in a certain stock and it was going up, 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 up. And then you're going to say, you know what? Now I'm going to buy something completely yeah, yeah, And then you make millions <laughs> from it. Like, you know what? I got to stop. The stock is not working. Let's go yeah, completely yeah, different that, direction. Nobody would do it's that. no like, sense. It's, the numbers are up and we keep going yeah. up. You know, if it starts to dip, then okay, maybe now we got to yeah. shift gears. You know, so like, I've never got that. And, and you know, we, of course, <laughs> you see it all the time. Yeah. You know, if you're doing good with one coach, don't switch. You know, like, you're learning. Keep staying on the course. You know, if he starts neglecting you or things start going south and you start taking a downturn in your career, then, okay, maybe we need to evaluate what's going on, you know. And maybe if the coach is the problem, then, okay, you got to switch. But, like, it's rarely that. You know what I mean? Like, if so if a coach was able to take you from 0 to 100 or 0 to 50, he can keep taking you higher, right? So it's usually other variables that are... You know, I... There's, like, the, the whole... And it comes down to one thing, probably my most common theme in my class, and I talk about it all the time, it's, it's like, um, what, what, how do you put it? Self-awareness, you know, like accountability. Like, you lost, you lost. You, you lost. That was you. That was not the weather. It was not the, the rules. Oh, the rules, that's why I lost. No, you lost. Oh, the ref made a mistake. Oh, it was my coach. Or yeah. like, everyone's got it. It's like, man, stop it. Stop it. That's not how you get better. Like, that's the best advice I can give people. Like, people don't want to hear it. Because it's not the, it's not the story that they that makes them feel good, right? It makes them feel like crap. So they go like, I don't want to hear that. I want to feel good. But it really comes down to that progress in anything you do has to do with accountability. For sure. And it, you got to be hard on yourself, and it sucks because it's painful. Like you lost, and you know, look at yourself in the mirror and going, I made this mistake and that mistake, and I didn't train hard enough, and I wasn't intelligent enough. My diet wasn't sharp. Like I always tell my students this: Ask yourself, did you do a hundred percent? of what was possible for you to win. Bingo, yeah. And the answer is always, no, I haven't. Like, and I don't think there's been a single tournament where I did 100% no, Dave. No, no way. Like, I could have been, there's, there's always room, There's you know? always room for improvement. Are you, are you, so what, why are you talking about the referee, man? Yeah. Why are you even talking about your coach and your training partners and the, your girlfriend? Like, stop it, man. And when I see people like that, even when they're very talented, I go, it's not gonna make it. I already know. Because every person who does well in, in anything they do in life, and I truly believe this, they have one thing in common. When they mess up, they blame themselves. For sure. I always tell people, taking full accountability for everything you do is empowering. Yeah. Right? Because that also means you have the ability to fix it. Yeah. When I start blaming everybody else, I lose control. Yeah. Right? Oh, the referee cost me a loss. Well, I can't do anything about that. No need to improve. No need to improve. Right? Yeah. You know, so now, like, take responsibility for everything. If you have, you know, that high level of accountability, now you also have a high level of power. Right? But... People shy away from that, right? They, I, I think that a lot of the problem is just ego. You know, we have one thing I was telling my girlfriend about because we're talking about homeschooling and all that. I think one thing in modern society is that failure is seen as like a stigma. You know, it's like, oh, if you if you got a bad grade in a test, you yeah. know, like, oh, like, and your parents get mad at you yeah. and yell at you and all that. Like, it shouldn't be that way, right? Yeah. Because in real life, you love your failures. Yeah, in yeah. real life. Failure is going to happen, and you're going to have to learn from it, you know, but it seems like our schools and modern education is kind of institutionalized to sort of give you, like, always pass, never fail, and don't take big chances, just People, go on this, like, steady path that's yeah. easy to, to manage, but you're not going to get big results anymore, yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah. you know, in real life, you have to take big chances every so often, calculated risks, Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. They don't work, you just fix yourself up, keep going, you know? But when you're very uh, risk-averse, it's hard to get anything done, you know? And 
if you're going to be a competitor, it's high risk already. 50%. Statistically, it's 50%. 50%. It's a horrible investment. So you got to be ready for that. You know yeah. what I mean? I think Kip Kohler used to do that speech on every Naga. He goes, yeah. half of the people in the room are going to lose in the first match. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, don't be worried about it. You know, like, yeah. it's going to happen. It's a, uh, there's a, like, Nietzsche would say something about, like, called amor fati, like the love of faith. So you should love your losses because your losses are really not losses. They're empowering. Yeah. That's how you learn. You get better by you know, embracing that, you embrace the pain, you know? You, and that's what martial arts is all about. That's what improvement is all about, is embracing the hardship. Like, there's a correlation <laughs> yeah. between hardship and growth. Not only, you know, think about in the gym. The harder you lift, the heavier you lift, or the harder you sprint, the bigger the physical improvement, right? Yeah. That goes for everything you do, man. The more you struggle, the more you grow. And, you know, in the, you know when people want a quick reward, they think they miss out the, on, the true, on the true valuable lesson. Oh, this just reminds you. Do you hear about that guy that got injured in the tournament and then he's suing his instructor for the injury? He's suing his instructor. I never. This is great. <laughs> God bless America. And it, no, no, it was in America. It wasn't here. It was in Canada. Oh, <laughs> and they were in the north. Shame on you guys, oh, man. Oh no. Yeah. He, and, yeah. Of course, the school had him sign waivers and the tournament had him sign waivers, but he sued the instructor, I guess, for not preparing him properly or. Because he had to, he was a heavyweight, and he was fighting against somebody even bigger than him. He was like 240 pounds, allegedly. I'm not sure. Don't yeah. get me wrong. And he I might sue he, you too. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> Hopefully not here in the U.S. And uh, I guess he said that he wasn't aware that was going to happen, and then he got hurt. He hurt his knee or something. And the courts are allowing the case to continue. They didn't throw it out, even though I, they had the win. Sometimes, like I, I'm a big advocate of the judicial system. It's not perfect. It's the yeah. best we have. But sometimes, like, you hear stuff like this. It's like, unless there's something that we're missing, but that's crazy to me. Like, yeah, if I'm a judge, I just look at it like, get the hell out of here, man. For we got sure. important shit to worry about. We got some, like, murder cases here, man. Yeah. Like, like, stop wasting our time and money, you know? Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Everybody knows what they're getting into when they go into a tournament, you know? Yeah. At the end of the day, like, you're a grown-ass man or a woman, you know, you got to take responsibility. It's risk. For you, yeah. Anyway. You're going to a tournament. Man, if I would sue my coaches every time I got into <laughs> Maybe that's a good business law. Start doing start suing people for getting injured. You know? Super Harris or something. You know, Super Harris. <laughs> like, yeah, shoulder pressure, you know, like it really, really you know, I get a new tooth now, you know. All right. Dave, that was a lot of fun, man. I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess we could recap real quick. Gi versus Noki. I think it's a stalemate, right? Yeah, like it's, I, I, it's, it's not, it's, I, my take on it is like, what is it that you like? I've gone through phases. One thing I like about the geese, like I said, there are more options. Yeah, it is more less active. You know, um, I have always recommend training with both. I don't think that one hurts the other. I think they enforce one another. With that being said, I don't think that, you know, if you only train gi, or if you only train no gi, you, you have to train the gi to be a champion in, you know, in, in ADCC, for example. We've yeah. seen people succeed, and yeah, the ADCC world is very BJJ oriented. And, I don't, honestly, man, um, makes you happy. It's the most important thing, man. You're enjoying it. Have fun with it. That's what it comes down to. But Yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah. right there with you. I, I don't have anything against the gi. It's just I don't like using yeah. it personally. The, I've done it a few times. I always get oversized gis when they lend them to me, though. <laughs> I have my, like, my sleeves too. coming here like You're this. You're probably an A2. And people, like, sweeping yeah. me all over the place. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh yeah, I mean, I, I guess my whole stance on it is just that if you're going to be an MMA guy or you're going to be primarily a no-gi guy, I don't think it's important that you train in the gi. Yeah. If you want to, 
go ahead. It's yeah. like you said, definitely better than running or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that sense, like, it's a different form of training. Yeah. Yeah, why not? You know? So. Yeah, man. We'll be all over the place, but I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys had fun. This is episode three. Uh, well, episode four coming up soon. All right. See you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't subscribed already, make sure you do. We're on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Podbean. And if you want to see the video format, make sure you visit our YouTube channel where you can see all the exciting video of me and Rob talking. <laughs> all right. But other than that, if you need the links, go to our website, which is breakingtheguard.com. And it'll have links to all the various platforms that we're located on. A final word from one of our sponsors, which is FFACoach.com. Again, FFA Coach, which is Frank Frank Alpha Coach.com, is a mixed martial arts membership site like no other. There's plenty of BJJ membership sites out there, and they all do a good job, but there's nobody really tackling what it takes to become a good and balanced mixed martial artist. And that is the goal behind FFACoach.com. It's based out of my academy, which is the Freestyle Fighting Academy. And we actually made this website for our students so they can study online when they couldn't come to class. And eventually we just expanded it to allow anybody to join. And what makes our site unique from any others is first, it's focused on mixed martial arts. And second is that it's based off monthly curriculums. These are the same curriculums that we use to teach at our gym. So this is the next closest thing to being able to train with me one-on-one. And again, our curriculums are MMA-based, and they're separated into striking, wrestling, and grappling. And they're also done by experience level from beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So regardless of where you are in your martial arts journey, there is relevant content for you, and it's structured so that you will learn in a natural progression. Rather than most sites, which are kind of like an encyclopedia, and you got to just figure out what you're looking for, on FFACoach.com, you can learn in a step-by-step fashion. And of course, if you wanted to skip around, you can search our over 1,500 videos that we have available and look through them. And we update every week with new videos and every month with new curriculums. So if you want to get started, we offer a $1 trial where you get 30 days of access. And you just have to visit FFACoach.com. Again, that's FFACoach.com.